Amen. If you have your Bibles open with you, then um, turn again to Luke 17. And um, I've entitled this message, Giving Thanks. Giving, giving thanks. So that should be up there. Luke 17. And um, the first thing that I really want to say um, this morning about this passage that we read is the work of Christ, the work of Christ. You see, there's something in the first line of our reading. We just read this first few words. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, just comes up in our Bible reading here. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus turns from whatever way he was going, and he turns and he heads towards Jerusalem. He knows exactly what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, for him, was going to be a place where he was going to be mistreated. Jerusalem was going to be a place where he was going to be dragged, where he was going to be mocked, where he was going to be spat upon, where he was going to have his beard pulled from his face, a crown of thorns laid on his head. He knew exactly what was waiting for him in Jerusalem, and we read in the Bible that he stops going where he was going, and he turns, and he makes his way to Jerusalem, where he was going to be crucified. Some people say, well, you know, Jesus was a victim. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, he just happened to be in Jerusalem, and it all kicked off, and he, he was the one who got nailed. You know, when you look at John Lennon, who was shot in 1981, or you looked at John Kennedy, who was shot and killed in 1963, or you look at Dr. Martin Luther King, who was shot and killed in 1968, these men were in the wrong place at the wrong time. They could have changed their diary, they could have missed a flight, or they could have cancelled a meeting, and they wouldn't have been in the place where they had got shot and killed. They were victims. But Jesus was not a victim. He purposefully set out to Jerusalem, knowing that there, he was going to die. Knowing that there, he was going to be crucified. Knowing that there, at Jerusalem, nowhere else, had to be at Jerusalem, he was going to suffer. Knowing that there, he will be nailed to a cross and he will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that at the cross, he had to be there so that he can cry out, it is finished. I have accomplished what God has called me to do. He had to be at the cross at Jerusalem. Why? Why did he have to die at Jerusalem? Why did he have to die that death on the cross? I'll tell you why. Because sin has ruined men and women. Sin has separated you from God. That's what the Bible says, not my words. Look what, the, look what Isaiah say in um, his book. 
But your iniquities, another word for sin, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sin have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Here we have God saying, I want to hear you. I want to listen to you. I want to be with you. But I cannot. As much as I love you, I cannot. Well, why, God? Why can't you hear me? Because your sin has separated you from me. And somebody had to come. Somebody had to go to Jerusalem. Somebody had to be on that cross. And that somebody had to be Jesus. Had to be. And so, connected with sin is death. Connected with sin is hell. Connected with sin is separation. And Jesus warned again and again. He warned again and again. You know, don't go there. I don't want you to go there. He told people again and again that the kingdom of God must be had here and now. He warned people again and again of the dangers of rejecting God. He warned people. Why? Because he knew the dangers. He knew the horrors. He knew the disasters of hell. He knew it. That's why he preached so hard. Now, I'm not very good at, I like watching basketball, but I'm not very good at it. Jim Hogue is very good. He trains a good number of young people. Now, Jim tells his young people and men, he tells them, listen, you've got to do what I tell you to do on a basketball court. He's a coach. And he's a great player as well. And he says, you've got to do, because I know I've been in games before. I've seen how this plays out. And Jim has experience. He has knowledge. He has training. And he knows when he tells the young people, this is what you've got to do. If they do it, they are listening to somebody who's been there, done it, and got the t-shirt. When Jesus turns around and says, you know what? I'm telling you, avoid hell. Why, Lord God, I've seen it. Avoid death. Why, Lord God, I've seen it. Get to heaven. Do whatever you have to do. Make every effort to enter through the narrow gate. Why, Lord? Because I know, I know what heaven has for you. He's been there. He's done that. He's got the t-shirt, if you want to say it. And he knows what he is speaking of. Jesus went to hell. Sorry, Jesus went to the cross, sorry. Went to the cross because he knew he had to go. It was written at least 1,500 years ago that he had to go to the cross. Psalm, I won't read it, Psalm 22. If you want to read Psalm 22, that was written nearly 1,500 years before Christ went to the cross. Isaiah, you can read it yourself. Isaiah 53, that was written nearly 700 years before Jesus went to the cross. 1,500 years in Psalm 22, that was written. Isaiah was written 700 years before. And yet if you read these chapters, it speaks very clearly about Christ going to Jerusalem. 
It was no accident. He was no victim. He was not a man in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, no, no. He was one who was laying down his life for the people God loves. I'm going to say that again. He was one who was laying down his life for the people that God loves. And so the work of Christ. That one little sentence hit me like a train. I was reading my Bible and it says, he was going to Jerusalem. He just hit me. Stop right there. Why was Jesus going to Jerusalem? Because he knew that he had to get there to rescue me and you. Let's move on. Because the work of Christ, but I want to speak about the word of Christ now. Now as Jesus was heading to Jerusalem to break the power of sin, as he was heading to Jerusalem to break the curse of sin, Ten men came up to meet him. These ten men were displaying in their outward flesh the inner destruction and workings of sin. In their outward flesh, the Bible says they had leprosy. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. These ten men were showing the curse of leprosy on their bodies. How awful must they have looked, even to one another. We are told that with this disease, it eats away at your flesh. So you begin to lose parts of your body. Miserable business. But inside these ten men, they look horrible on the outside. You wouldn't want to look at them on the outside. No way. But inside... They were just as horrible. Inside these ten men were the disease of sin and wickedness. Inside every single person, it's not a pretty sight. We all sit here, you know, we came to church, we made sure we put on our fine clothes and, our, you know, and, and we made sure we had showers and, and, and combed our hair. We came out looking sweet. But inside... That's the question. What is going on inside? I tell you what the Lord says about inside the heart. This is what Jesus says. Listen to what he says. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. It's not what you look on the outside, but what comes out of the heart is what Jesus is talking about this morning. We might look that we haven't got leprosy on the outside. And praise God, we have not. But inside, Jesus is saying that the heart is deceitful above all things. Inside, Jesus is saying the heart is wicked above all things. Who can know it? Inside, there's stuff going on that's like leprosy. Miserable business. These men were wicked themselves and ungrateful, as we will find out. But also, I want you to know that these men had a voice of desperation about them. Let's hear them. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. 
They stood at a distance and they had to stand at a distance because leprosy was contagious. If you get too close to a leper, a leper, leprous man, you'll get contaminated. So they stood at a distance and they cried out. They were desperate. Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They were desperate. Reminds me of another man who was desperate in the Bible. Do you remember a man called Bartimaeus? He was desperate. He was blind. But while he was, while he heard that Jesus was passing by, those who led away, he started crying out and he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And those rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But the Bible says, but he shouted all the more. I love this man's desperation. I love this man's tenacity. This man hears that Jesus is passing by and crowds around him and saying, shut up, leave Jesus be. He doesn't want to speak to you. But the Bible says he cries out there, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Again, he cries out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That is the voice, not only his voice, but their voice as well, of one who is desperate to get Christ's attention. You know, everyone has some need. Everyone has a need. The same need. But not everyone recognizes that same need. You see, so many people cover up their needs with other stuff. They cover it up. Some people cover it up with drugs. Some with alcohol. Some with sex. Some with entertainment. Some with family commitment. Some with work. Whatever it is, they bring things on and they cover up their need. Put that person in a room by himself for one hour, he go crazy. Take away their mobile phone, take away their internet access, and they go crazy. They need to be distracted. Because if they're distracted, they won't think about their need. But once you begin to think about your need, you begin to say, I want to be like that blind Bartimaeus. I want to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Once you think about your need, you'll be like those ten lepers, man, who, who maybe on the outside, they, they, they might look awful, but more importantly, on the inside, there's wickedness and sin. And once you see that, you yourself will want to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But I want you to notice something else about these men. These ten guys. They turn around and they called out. And they say, Jesus. Master. Have pity on us. They could have cried out, Rabbi. Rabboni. Have mercy on us. They could have called him by that name because he was a rabbi. They could have cried out and they could have said, Teacher, teacher, have pity on us. They could have said that because he was a teacher too, but they did not. 
They cried out, Jesus. Do you know what the name Jesus means? Well, here he is. The angel gives us the meaning in Matthew's gospel. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Listen, the name of Jesus means savior or he saves. That's the name of Jesus means. They could have cried out, savior, savior, savior. They could have done that. And in fact, that's what they was doing when they say Jesus, Jesus. They were saying, Savior, 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 have pity on us. Praise be to God. These men were not stupid. These men, they came to the right man and they used the right name. That got Jesus' attention. When he heard them at a distance crying out, Savior, he couldn't resist it. You have to turn and see what was going on. There's someone crying for saving. That caught Jesus' attention. But I want also to notice something else about these ten men. Look what they said. They called out, Jesus! He didn't stop there, you know. Master! Have pity on us. Now I can hear some Voices saying, that you're going a bit too far. Hold on. This man was a carpenter's son. What do you mean calling him? He was no, he was no, he was no um, a dignitary. He was not a governor. He wasn't a royal. He wasn't a, a Roman officer. Why did they call him master? I'll tell you why they called him master. Jesus only had to speak a word and things obey him. Do you remember that time there was on a, on a lake? There was on a lake and a storm came and the, the wind was blowing and, and the waves was rising and the disciples were in the boat and they were terrified and, and, and we read that Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, quiet, be still, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He, can only, he only has to speak something and, and, and it happens. That's why they called him master. He had a masterful way about speaking. But not only that, you remember when there was a crippled man, a paralyzed man, he was paralyzed so badly he had to be carried into the presence of Jesus. And then Jesus saw him and looked at him. So he, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Listen, didn't take him six months for recovery. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he was been lying on and went home praising God. The master speaks. And when the master speaks, something happens. You know, I like the fact what Jesus did here. The, the, the wonderful thing that Jesus did here, when he spoke, he, he just told them where to go. 
powerful words when he speaks. You know, this week I was, had the privilege of taking a funeral of a wonderful woman that I learned so much about, a woman called Maureen Cunningham. Two of her sons are here today and it was a great privilege. And when I learned about her life story, how she brought up four boys in Stepney, East London. And how she went through so much in her life. And yet was able to end her life at age 82 years of age with joy and with happiness. That's the amazing. And one of the things that was amazing to me when I was thinking about Maureen's life was one day she was told, this is very important, one day she was told about Jesus' first miracle. You know that first miracle when he turned water into wine? Well, Mary, let me just go past this one here. When the wine was gone, he says here, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And listen, I want you to get this. His mother, Mary, turned around and says to the servants, do whatever he tells you what to do. In other words, there's no power in my words. I have nothing to give you but this one, this Jesus, whatever he says, do it. Because the words of Christ carries so much authority, so much power. Let me just go back to this verse here, what the Bible speaks. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. And through whom, also, he made the universe. Listen to this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The word of Christ is masterful. It's powerful. You can't trust the word of man. I was watching the news the other day and I was watching Donald Trump in Ohio, Cleveland. When they interviewed the people after he spoke, they couldn't even tell you what, they couldn't even tell you what he said. In fact, Donald Trump was speaking so much rubbish that people were more hyped up by being there than by actually believing what the man was saying. You cannot believe the word of man. It has no power. It has no authority. Unfortunately, thousands believe words that come from men time and time again. But I want to tell you this morning, there's one man that when he speaks has authority and power when he says something. And that is Jesus Christ. And so he speaks. And when he speaks... 
things take happen, things move, the words of Christ. Look, I want to tell you something. Mary said, don't listen to me. Listen to Jesus. And I'm praying that you this morning, here this morning, will hear my voice. Don't just listen to what I'm saying. If I'm saying anything outside of what Christ is saying, then you need to forget everything that I say. If I'm speaking something that Jesus wouldn't speak, you need to tell me to shut up and sit down. But I want to tell you this morning, everything that Christ has to say has to go from here into our hearts. Because his words are powerful. But let me wrap this message up and let me just finish, finish with the final heading here. The words of Christ, the wonder of Christ. The wonder of Christ. That verse says, 1714, look at what it says here. It says this, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus didn't even say, be healed. He told them where to go. You know, if people tell you where to go, they're not going to help you, are they? When they tell you where to go, they're not going to give you any, any assistance. But when Jesus told these guys where to go, go and show yourself to the priests. And I, my imagination, I just like my imagination, it just runs mad when I'm thinking of this. My imagination is ten men hearing Jesus say go, they be turned around and they begin to go to the temple where the priest was at, and as they were going, they looked at one another. Your face looked different. That horrible, pussy stuff that was on your head is clearing. Oh, what about you? Look at you. Your fingers are no longer old and crabby and, and your skin is no longer decaying and destroying but there's, there's cleanness in your flesh and they begin to look at one another amazed that their appearance are changing. Oh, I like to, I wish I was there. Seeing those men looking at one another in great amazement. The word of Christ brings healing. You know, this did not surprise Jesus. He, when he said it, he knew it was going to happen. Did not surprise Jesus at all. I tell you what did surprise him. Let's read what surprised him. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? I like that. Jesus didn't have to be there to check them and make sure they were all cleansed. Jesus turned around, he knew that his word had the authority to cleanse them from a distance. And so Jesus says, hold on, wasn't ten men cleansed? Where are the other nine? He wasn't amazed at his power to heal. He was more amazed, more shocked at the fact that only one person came back. to say thank you oh God one person came back falling on the feet on his face saying oh praise you Lord 
I was a goner. I was dead. This leprosy was going to kill me. My, 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 my sins were, were over my head. But I'm cleansed now, Lord. Thank you. I praise you. And the Bible says he praised him with a loud voice. Do you think I'm loud this morning? This man was loud. You know, many people have been touched by God. They have seen physical healing at times. Because Christ can heal physically. Some have received financial blessing. Others have received comfort. And they've been carried by God through difficult times. Dark times in their lives. But when it's all over, when the darkness has passed, when the threat of danger is gone, when they had the okay from the doctors and the bank manager says yes again to them, Christ is forgotten. The storm is over. The family are all well. God has saved, he's turned up again, he's rescued, he's helped me, he's blessed me. The question must be asked, how many of these people who receive the blessing of God, how many are coming back to Christ and falling on their knees and saying, oh God, I was lost, I was a goner. I could have been dead, but you healed me and raised me up again. I was in financial ruin, but somebody in church gave me an envelope, gave me a package, and that blessed me. I was in dire straits, and you carried me through my sorrow and my grief. Oh God, thank you. I bless you. I praise you. How many men and women are coming back to God with a word of praise? My fear is... That we live in a generation of takers. My fear is that we live in a generation of sponges from God. My fear is that we live in a generation of men and women. I shouldn't really say a generation because it goes right back even to my Bible reading. Nine men went away back to their families. Nine men went back to their workplaces. Nine men had the ability to go back and earn money. Nine men went back. Into the village, happy that they have been cleansed. But only one man turned back. And the Bible says he went back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. That must be our position in life. God, you have saved me. In my heart, only you know your heart. But in my heart, as you said, it's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Because out of the heart comes all manner of wickedness. 
Sexual immorality, indult, adultery, theft, murder, all these things come out. Lord, you know me. You know what, how wicked I am. You know my past, Lord. I might be able to cover it all up with a nice shirt and tie and a nice home and family. But Lord, you know my past. It's there watching me, staring at me. But Lord, you've saved me from my past. You've forgiven me and cleansed me. I'm coming back to you to say thank you. I'm going to lay down my life for you and say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you have saved me from. That is the message of this story. Jesus was amazed that only one person came back. He knows that his word carries authority and power. But he was amazed that only one person came back. My question in this church, we might be 50, 60, 70 people here. I don't know how many people here this morning. But I wonder how many people are going to go back to their homes. Find a quiet place where there's no one around. Shut off the TV, turn off the mobile phone, put the iPad down and and find a place where they can go back and say, oh God almighty, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your kindness. I thank you for your compassion. I thank you for your love. Oh God, I thank you. Because when you spoke that word of life to me, gave me a new life. That is what would bring glory to God. But you know what? Some will go home and do nothing. And Jesus will turn around and say, I'm amazed. My spirit was at Goldings this morning. I'm amazed. I anointed a weak man to preach this morning. I'm amazed. I spoke this morning, and that man, that woman can still go home and forget all about me. I'm amazed. Wasn't there 70 people in church this morning? Wasn't there 50 people in church this morning? And only a few came back to me to say, thank you. I'm amazed. May that not be true of us in Goldings. May there be a a voice in this church this morning, a united voice a, 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 a chorus, as it were, of voices in Loughton and, and, and in Debden and in, and in Chingford and in Ilford and wherever we come from, a, a chorus of, of praise going up towards God, saying, oh God, I was at Golden this morning and I heard that a man came back to you and gave praise. I want to be that man. I want to be that woman. I'm coming back to give you the praise and the worship and the glory for what you have done. Praise be to God. Father in heaven, may I be the first one this morning. May I be the first one to come and raise my voice. Like that poor man who fell down before you with a loud voice praising you. May I join him this morning, O God. Father, I don't want to be those nine men receiving a blessing. 
I don't want to be those nine men receiving a healing. I don't want to be those nine men being carried through my pain and my suffering. I don't want to be those nine men going my own way. No, Lord, I want to come back and be that man, Lord, that will raise my voice and say glory to my Savior, Jesus, Savior, Son of David. The one who had mercy on me, I give you praise. God, do a work, I pray, in us. For Jesus' sake and for his glory.